hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! Okay, and this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic, your uh, podcast dedicated to Liverpool Football Club. I'm Steve Hothersall, uh, James Pearce and Simon Hughes, as always, here for the conversation. It's quite apt that the the opening to the show is that little bit of commentary from Istanbul. We've just passed the 15-year marker for it. 15 years, unbelievable. That's not going to be the focus of all our conversation this hour. In fact, we're going to talk about Kiev a bit more. But let's catch up with the lads first of all and get an Istanbul memory. Um, Simon, first of all, yourself. Now, you didn't manage to get there, did you? No, no. I was um, I had my last university exam in, in Sheffield the morning after, starting at 9pm. Um, 9am, sorry, not 9pm 9, 9 would be a mad start, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, so I, I'd spent... The previous sort of three, four weeks campaigning uh, with my uh, lecturer to try and somehow convince him to allow me to do the exam a couple of days before and then travel <laughs> without without telling anyone about the, the contents of the exam, which I knew was a futile exercise, really. So I, I had to stay uh, stay at home. I mean, I, I came home and, and watched the game in Liverpool with, with some of my mates and then remember getting the train over about... God, it must be on 5am the next morning and Liverpool was still sort of in that zone between party and um, a lot of people staggering out of pubs and just sitting on on park benches. Uh, it was quite a surreal sight. So, yeah, I mean, I did, I did get to celebrate it, but um, actually did all right in the exam as well in the end. Somehow, it's, I think it managed to somehow focus my mind at the end. Through of it, anger. Through anger, yeah, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, a bit, bit tinge of disappointment, but, but nevertheless, I mean, you know, the, the, the magnitude of that event was still not lost on me, despite not being there. But it was, um, yeah, disappointing not to be a part of it. Yeah, but both yourself and James written some fantastic stuff on the Athletic in the past week about about Istanbul. What, what particularly for you, James, has stood out when you've sort of re-examined it fifteen years on? <laughs> um. Do you know what? I think the main thing is, because obviously at the time you're thinking, you know, I've, we've, we've never, ever seen anything quite like this. And then and then the thing is, only when you then relive it by speaking to the people, as me and Simon did last week, with, you know, from the manager to his staff and pretty much all the team that were involved that night, you, you kind of, it just re-emphasises just how unbelievable that that whole night was. And, you know, 15 years on, it still, you know, it still belongs in a class of its own for me in terms of, you know, major finals and, you know, even even just again, you forget just how good that Milan team was. It was that was one of the things that struck me last week when we were doing it. Is that you, you just look at that team sheet again, and then you look at Liverpool's team sheet, and you just think, you know, three nil down. Like, how on earth did 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 Liverpool pull that off? And um, and just so much, it's just so much to it, isn't there? As well, you know, the just you, I was when I was watching the highlights back, just you know, the the quality of that Kaka pass and the finish from Crespo and some of the some of the football that Milan played in that first half, and then just you know that unbelievable six minute spell, and then the way it swings back again, and um, you know, I loved having a chat with Jimmy Triori last week. Um, you know, what a what a story he's got to tell from you know the the absolute crushing low he said of you know walking in that dressing room and f- feeling like you know he'd failed miserably in the biggest game of his life being told by Benitez pretty bluntly Triori shower um thinking his his night's over and then and then suddenly being called back because because Finnan had had an injury and the physio felt that he couldn't get through the entire game so he's he's back out there and what 30, 40 minutes after that, he's making a heroic goal line clearance to deny Shevchenko. So, yeah, so much, you know, right through to to Dudek and in, in his in his heroics with the double save and then in the shootout. So, yeah, it was. Do you know what? It was it was an absolute pleasure to to be able to relive it all again because it does just bring home to you the the magnitude of that achievement. And and it will surely never be repeated. Now we're not going to spend the hour talking about. Istanbul, but it is interesting to look at perhaps what happened to the football club after Istanbul, and we are going to focus more on what happened with Kiev two years ago. So, first of all, Simon, if you think back to Istanbul, and that gives you a platform, what did the club do right or wrong? Do you think in, in the immediate aftermath of such a a triumph? I mean, there's a lot a lot of time to fill between then and Kiev. I guess. I mean, so, so much has happened. Um, 
a lot of it comes down to ownership, doesn't it, and management. Um, I guess David Moores had decided to sell Liverpool, I think around 2003, 2004. I remember interviewing Rick Paddy a few years ago and he said that Moores had confided in him that he was concerned that... Um, that, that Liverpool would get left behind by Roman Abramovich and Chelsea, and they'd started to look for a buyer at that point. So that was that was sort of well underway by the time Istanbul happens. I think whether Istanbul happens or not, you know, Liverpool as a football club gets sold to to foreign owners. But I think what Istanbul does is obviously the drama of the story makes the club, I guess, more appealing and 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 puts it on a global stage again in, in a way that no other sporting event or, or story could. So, you know, you go from 2005, two years along the line, to Athens, where the, the club's just been sold to, to Hicks and Gillette. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly. It's very difficult to pinpoint what the profound effect that Istanbul had on the direction of the club itself. But I think certainly from the fan bases point of view it seems to reaffirm the idea that you know nothing is impossible really and in many ways you know the, the overachievement i think of istanbul it sort of possibly put expectations out of kilter a little bit i mean liverpool were not expected to to go and compete for the champions league that that season they were i think neil Mellor told me that the you know every single game that they played you know even against olympiacos away which they, a game that they lost you know they weren't expected to go there and win you know liverpool some way off being a, a continental standard football team at that time and you know had a bit of luck along the way they had one world-class player they had a manager who was at his peak but you know around that that the, the team wasn't a particularly you know good one and I, I would actually argue that you know when you think about all the Liverpool trophies that, that have been won over the last sort of 30 years since they last won the league that aside from maybe the FA Cup in 1992 you know, that was probably one of the weakest Liverpool teams that there's been. And it touches on what James said, you know, comes up against a great Milan team, which, you know, was, I think the collective age of the AC Milan team like that year was, was 30 and Liverpool's was 26. And it was it was an average of 26, but a lot of those 26-year-olds sort of, all those that age group of players between maybe, you know, 24 and 27, didn't have any real long-lasting impact uh, in other moments of the Liverpool careers. So... I think to bring it back to, the, to sort of where we are now, you know, I think that it just uh, reminds us of Liverpool's relationship of uh, with Europe and European football. Mm. You know, who knows? I mean, it's difficult. Again, it's impossible to sort of quantify. But if Istanbul doesn't happen, does does the Barcelona comeback happen? I, I don't know. I think obviously three goals. I remember the people talking about it on the, the, the morning of the game, the Barcelona game uh, a year ago, and people saying, well, they have done it before. you know. So as soon as it gets to 3-1, you sort of think, well, Istanbul happens, it can become 3-3 very quickly, and it did. you know. It's, it, I think those sorts of comebacks, it gives the club uh, and it's certainly its fan base a belief that, that just carries on through the decades. You know, it's it's a very powerful thing. Um, I, I just think that that sort of, I know it's a bit of a cliche, they never say they die sort of thing, which which happens, at, you know, in Liverpool matches. That just fortifies that belief that, that anything can happen. And that, that has definitely helped the club in, in recent times, you know, bringing it up to the Klopp era. It, it lives within the history of the club. Well, let's talk about two finals which didn't, quite go in the way we would have wanted so the first being Athens and then of course fast forward 10 years to what happened in Kiev but two had entirely different sort of follow-on periods to them James so I I don't know how much you've looked back at Athens but I know you've looked an awful lot at what happened in Kiev so two defeats in Champions League finals but but why so differing when it followed on afterwards yeah I think you have to look at the the state of the club at the time and both of those I think Certainly in the aftermath of, of Athens in 2007, there were already kind of murmurings of, of discontent with the, you know, the ownership of, of Hicks and Gillette. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Rafa Benitez has spoken before, hasn't he, about, you know, how he just walked and walked that night. And, you know, he gave you know, quite an infamous press conference in, in the aftermath of that defeat um, to, to Milan. Um and you could you could sense you know already that there were some issues there. I think the the massive difference in um, in Kiev. And I was I was thinking about this obviously today as we're talking is the anniversary of Kiev. And I met a lot of people that obviously were, were disappointed after the game, but there wasn't that sense of like absolute dismay and agony that like this was the the end of something. It was you know I I, met, I remember chatting to fans in the airport when I'm waiting for the flight back from Kiev and. 
Anyway, I think, you know, there was, the mood was like, you know, obviously, you know, desperately, you know, upset about the, the manner of the defeat and obviously what had happened with Carius and all the rest of it. But there was a real sense that something special was building and that, you know, that that wouldn't be the last Champions League final um, Liverpool would go to under Klopp. I think, you know, probably didn't didn't imagine that redemption would come quite so quick in terms of going to the next final and, and winning it. But, um, yeah, there was certainly a very different feel to Kiev. And I think even now you speak to people and you know, I noticed on social media today, like usually you would want to, you know, brush over, wouldn't you, the anniversary of a of a major Euro- European final that you, you came off second best in. But you know, I think a lot of people have got great memories of Kiev because, mm. you know, although it was an absolute nightmare to get to and there was the, the issue with the hotels and all the rest of it, um, I absolutely loved it as a as a city and you know very welcoming and you know the, those scenes in Shevchenko Park on the day of the game, you know that 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 was kind of like you know what, the highlight of the trip for me in in many ways. So um, there, there was a lot to kind of take away from Kiev despite the um, the agony of the outcome. I mean, the one thing that stands out to me about that Champions League season was that Liverpool far outperformed anyone, Simon, in terms of how they were playing their football in the Champions League. They sort of headed to Kiev, in my mind, almost uh, as the rightful winners, even though, you know, there's no such thing at the end of the day. But they were outstanding in that campaign. Uh, That's the remarkable thing. I think the way the sort of the mood switched afterwards, because... Liverpool fully deserved to be in that final. And I, I went there thinking, well, you know, they beat Manchester City, who'd, who'd set a record points total, both home and away in, in the Champions League. And obviously had an amazing performance at Anfield, or resulted, say, at Anfield against Roma. You know, incredible second leg. You know, that that was that's one of my favourite game, Liverpool games, actually, the, uh, the Roma away game, just... Um, for, for, I suppose for a few personal reasons, my dad had actually gone to Rome in, in 77 and it was nice to go to the same stadium and, and sort of have a similar, you know, a, a, some sort of similar experience anyway. And I remember just touching on what James said there, the whole of the second half, you know, everybody was, uh, Liverpool were leading quite comfortably in the second half. You know, these opens up a, a, a decent lead. And, you know, I, I spent most of the second half trying to book my travel to Kiev <laughs> while the game was going on. You know, I mean, I don't know whether that's very professional of me or not. But, yeah, so, I mean, it was an incredible season and, and Liverpool played some, you know, they, they didn't just scramble through the, the competition. They... they, they, they Comprehensively beat some some excellent teams on the way, and you know I, I think the Kiev for me was, was probably in many ways more of an enjoyable weekend than Madrid because it, it almost felt that Madrid there was more expectation around Madrid. I mean that the thought of losing to for a second season in in, in a row in a final, particularly to an, another English club, was was unbearable. Really, with Madrid and Kiev, it, it didn't feel that way. It sort of felt slightly more optimistic and, and not as um, not as pressurised in many ways. It was just a great weekend. The weather was was fabulous, you know, as it was in Madrid, I suppose. And I remember that the, the morning of the game, we, we had a, a press game, which I'm sure James will like to to relive because he, he scored quite a spectacular goal in the press oh, game. Even though... do we have to talk about that? <laughs> Go on, James. <laughs> Go on, James. Yeah. <laughs> what was it, 40, 45 yards? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I can confirm that James is not exaggerating. Um, we really, we, we really needed a goal at the time because, um, obviously, the night before, as, as tends to happen on European away trips, I think everybody went out and had a few drinks and um, woke up the next morning in something between thirty and thirty-five degree heat, um, <laughs> feeling pretty hungover, and ended up playing a game of football against what was meant to be a Ukrainian press team, but miraculously had. Well, at least one player who played 75 times for the Ukraine national team playing centre back, <laughs> uh, and James, James managed to outfox him to score from 40 yards, which is quite a claim. Like, what was his name? James was it Vladimir Vashchuk? Was that, was that his I think name? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he was unbelievably good, wasn't he? He was very <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. And, and, and in typical typical Pierce fashion, he managed to get a selfie with him after the game, didn't you, James? <laughs> I, I did. Well, I just remember going up to someone afterwards, going. God, who does that fella work for? Your centre off, you know what newspaper? Because he's un- unbelievable. Like, did he ever? Did he ever play a bit? And they were like, yeah, yeah, he was a Ukraine international. Uh, what was he? Yeah, seventy odd caps. Won all sorts with Spartak Moscow for for ten years or something, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think he, they had a few ringers in, didn't they? We, we, well, knew it, we, were in, we all turned up very hungover, and they they turned up with the head of the Ukrainian FA doing a speech over the tannoy. 
I must, I must finish. We, we, we did get absolutely battered in the game. Was it 6 2, James? Is that right? Yeah, that pitch was rock hard, wasn't it? Pitch was rock hard. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did. I did get the impression. I might be wrong here that, that, that some of the players certainly weren't journalists. They, they looked more like Ukrainian gangsters. And I remember, I remember in the first ten minutes, one of them decided to launch into a two-footed challenge on me. And there was a moment where I, I did actually have to hold back. I'm sure um, I don't know whether James remembers that or not, but it was uh, my, my ankle was struggling the rest rest of weekends, wasn't it? Fond memories of your your journalistic battles. <laughs> this is yeah. everyone's got a story about Kiev as well, though, haven't they? Um, yeah. Yeah, and and there is an awful lot that that goes around it. Obviously, the question would be, why has it acted as such a great base for Liverpool to be where they are now? Because clearly, it had a profound impact on the football club, James. Yeah, I, do you know what? I just think it shows the strength of the foundations that the Klopp kind of inspired re- revival had been built on because. And, and, and again, you know, sometimes you get accused of, you know, trying to be too positive or trying to sugarcoat things. But it, it just didn't, in the aftermath of that, I, I you know, sometimes you just think that a team has one, one shot at something, one chance, and that they have to take it or, you know, they'll never, they'll never get there again. It's a, you know, a, a once in a lifetime shot, but you just, you never got that, that feeling with, with, with Kiev. I think, I think, you know, what, what was blatantly obvious which which I think Klopp knew already was that you know that summer Liverpool were going to have to invest heavily in a goalkeeper. Loris Karius dominated the narrative, didn't he? Post that final, um, you know, and, and of course on a personal, like human level, you had huge sympathy for him because it was it was horrible seeing someone implode and you know on on a stage as big as that, and and you know and just be you know so exposed in terms of how costly his mistakes were. And then, of course, you had all the fallout then with with Liverpool, you know, sending him to the the doctors in in Boston to be assessed, and um, you know, it was a bizarre chain of events where you had you know Franz Beckenbauer ringing Klopp up and saying, you know, have you thought to yourself whether your goalkeeper got concussed because you know he got that blow to the head from from Ramos, and then and then it was after that he made the the glaring mistakes, and and then of course the concussion comes out, and then. Even the stuff like that pre-season, when mm. I remember watching Carrius play at Chester in that pre-season friendly, and again, not nice to see someone whose confidence was just absolutely destroyed. And and of course, Liverpool eventually bit the bullet and 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 paid paid the big money to sign Allison. And in many ways, that was the you know the final piece in the clock jigsaw, really, because you know that was the the one area that desperately needed strengthening. And um, you know, and what an elite performer. Allison's proved to be so. Um, yeah, I think you know there was Liverpool went into Kiev having exceeded all expectations, didn't they? No one expected Liverpool to get all the way to the final. There was also no disgrace in in who they lost to. You know, they they lost to absolute serial winners in in Real Madrid. But yeah, he, he, even at the time, you just felt there was this momentum growing at the club that you know one major final defeat against against Real Madrid wasn't wasn't going to suddenly derail everything. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that all came from the top. I wonder, how long had Alisson actually been in the pipeline, Simon, do, do you think? Well, when did Jürgen really start thinking, well, actually, I've got a couple of pieces to fix in this side. One might be a number six and definitely a goalkeeper. Yeah, I think the, it was the summer before, really. You know, he'd obviously been looking at him for a long time. I remember in the papers, I have to double check, but I think I think the, the story started to appear in the papers around February, March time. Um, so somebody at Liverpool was clearly confident that they'd get him. I mean, it's, it's easy to forget with Alisson that, that he'd actually only had one full season of of playing regularly in Europe at the point when Liverpool signed him. He, he'd signed for Roma two years before and the first season had been deputy to, to Wojciech Szczesny before he went to Juventus and, and replaced Buffon, who was then going to um, PSG. And, you know, he'd relatively quite an inexperienced goalkeeper in terms of the number of the games that he'd played. You know, he was sort of a bit of a late developer who'd, you know, not not sort of burst onto the scene as a teenager. He'd sort of taken his time to become the goalkeeper that he is now. And, um, you know, Liverpool had obviously, you know, wanted to sign a goalkeeper for, for, for 12 months or so, I think. Um uh, Jurgen Klopp was sort of prepared to give uh, almost too many opportunities in some ways to to to, to Simon Mignolet, who who around the game when Liverpool uh, drew at Arsenal, I think Klopp finally decided, well, he's had his chance. You know, let's give Carrius a chance, who 
you know, in this, it's, that's the remarkable thing, really, that Liverpool got to that final with. with let, let, let's be fair with him in goal. I mean, he just wasn't good enough for Liverpool. He, he made one or two decent saves, but was the weak link in the team. Um, you know, I realise people might think that's a bit harsh, but that's the rea- sporting reality mm. was he just wasn't good enough for Liverpool. So, um, yeah, Klopp you know, was his greatest defender, wasn't he? He was. Well, Klopp will defend. You know, all of his players. I've never seen Klopp come out and have a go at any of his players. I think at that time he knew, you know, that he, he it was it, he was the only option that they had. Really, he couldn't go, then go back to Mignolet again. So, I mean, I remember the game in mentioned the game in Rome before. I mean, uh, Liverpool were closer. I mean, that game had gone on for another few more minutes. I wouldn't. Roma could have scored again, and I think Carrius had. It seemed to me like he, he um, you know, he, he was struggling that game. You know, remember somebody said, I think somebody's commentary was that you know one one of the goals flew in, and he was like a, a an aging slip fielder. You know, just couldn't get down to the ball, and so so to to get to the final with him in goal, I think was an achievement. Says a lot about sort of the defensive work and the impact that Virgil Van Dijk has had, because he came halfway through the season as well, didn't he? You know, and had an amazing impact on on the team. I, th- I think if Van Dijk doesn't come in, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether Liverpool do make it to Kiev in the end. In terms of Alisson himself and actually replacing Loris Karius, how how much did you expect, James, when that move actually was sealed? Because, you know, look, Karius, when he arrived, he was bigged up to be the greatest thing. Now, there's Alisson, who perhaps had just played Liverpool twice, hadn't he, and been on the receiving end of an awful lot of goals. We know he's a great young prospect, but did we really know what level he would get to? I think a big thing had been his performances to help Roma get to the semis of the Champions League. I remember seeing a fair bit of him en route to the last four. And as, as Simon said, he had been a relatively late developer, and you know, I think he was he was actually the number two, wasn't he, at Roma when he when he first went over to Europe from from South America. But you know, Liverpool's interest in him went back a, a long way. I remember doing an interview with John Achterberg, the, the keeper coach, who was saying that, that the first he he learned of him was it was actually um, Alexander Doney, the former Liverpool goalkeeper, who'd who'd actually kept in contact with Achterberg after his spell at Liverpool, and he he said to him that there's this young kid coming through that you need to keep an eye eye on, and um and, and so he was you know John Achterberg was watching him closely when he was playing. In, in Brazilian football, and you know, at the time, it, it wasn't a deal Liverpool could have done because of um, you know work permit issues and all the rest of it. Anyway, um, but he, yeah, he was someone that had been monitored for a long time. But I think you know, from the people I spoke to, certainly, it was his performances in the Champions League, you know, in high stakes games under pressure, mm. that was it was a, a big big factor in, in Liverpool cementing their interest in him. Um, yeah, but I'd say personally, he's still massively exceeded my expectations because um I thought he was good I didn't realize he was quite as good as as he actually is I mean he's he's just got an amazing presence hasn't he he's just one of those very few goalkeepers that almost has this ability to make make the goal look smaller with just just how good he is at his positional play and um the way you know the way he shuts down space and he's out to meet um attackers so quickly um He's just he's just immense in every every facet, and you know I I, I had sympathy for Simon Mignolet because I don't think I don't think Klopp has made very many mistakes at all during his tenure at Liverpool. But one one for me was definitely you know that season when he chopped and changed the number one between Mignolet and Carrius, and you know he had that crazy situation where one was playing Premier League, the other one was playing Champions League, and you know and I know that you know for both keepers that was unsettling. Um, but you know the, the reality is that Allison is in a different stratosphere than than those two goalkeepers who were vying for that number one spot before before he turned up. And you know, and as Simon said earlier on, I think sometimes with Carrius, there's almost like a bit too much of a focus on what happened to him in Kiev, as if you know, did, you know, did he deserve to pay the price and essentially be bombed off on the basis of one game? Well, it wasn't one game, was it? You know, I. I, I, I never, ever felt comfortable watching Liverpool when he was in goal. I thought he was always an accident waiting to happen. And yeah, Simon references some of the mistakes he made in the second leg against Roma. Even even the the first leg, I remember that shot from Kolarov that went straight through his hands and ended up cannoning him back off the bar. You know, he was very lucky to get away with that. So yeah, Liverpool reached a Champions League final in, in spite of Karius rather than, rather than because of him. And, uh, and of course, you know, two years on, they're um, still trying to get him off the books with his, um, you know, 
he's obviously had this falling out with Besiktas over you know unpaid wages, which has led to the termination of his loan deal. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we'll we'll see Carrius in the Liverpool shirt again. I think um, you know Liverpool are hopeful that they'll be able to find him another club before pre-season starts. Do, do we presume that he's actually back training with the Liverpool? team now Simon is that what is that what's happened is he back amongst the uh, the fold with John Acterberg and and Allison while he waits to find the next move it's not something that question that I've asked actually um, maybe James no, might be able to he, yeah he's not he's not no well I, mean, I think Liverpool need to make sure you know that, that he's fit I mean the, the one thing that Jurgen Klopp has been quite clever with you know that, that obviously he's still a human being and still an employee mm. isn't he he's gonna have to make sure that he's match fit and well not match fit but i don't think anybody can be match fit at, the, at this moment in time but you know a level of fitness that um that is going to make you know allow him to pass a medical at another club i mean i think there has been interest for from a variety of clubs i mean he let's not forget he, i mean he did have a good spell in Germany with Mainz, and I'm sure his 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 stock is still relatively high against sort of middle ranking German clubs and and abroad. You know, Besiktas signed him off the back of what happened in um in in Kiev. So I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think Liverpool have too many problems getting rid of him, providing his his, his expectations on wages isn't too high. So that's one thing still to be sorted. Look, within 48 hours of that Kiev game, Liverpool had agreed a deal for Fabinho. That's right, isn't it? If I'm thinking back correctly, yeah. it only took a couple of days. Yeah. So was that was that another part of the jigsaw that Jurgen already knew? I need to attend to this. And did he have a shortlist, or was it just Fabinho in your minds? Well, I mean, I I remember getting home and and just literally coming through the door. And within half an hour. You know that there was this announcement on on the website that he'd signed Fabinho, which I, I've got to admit it's the first <clears throat> deal that Liverpool have done in a long time that that, that literally nobody had a sniff at. There, there wasn't any reports in the press, so um, you know they'd obviously done a lot of work to make sure that that got over the line. I mean, it, the other element, I suppose, of of, um, of Kiev in that period is that Liverpool were losing Emre Chan, who the player who, who who plays in that position as, as sort of the, the 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 central midfielder, and you know he he'd been injured up until the, in, the, in the build up up to Kiev, uh, but he he decided even before then to, to go to Juventus. Um, and I was watching Chan at the weekend playing for for Borussia Dortmund, and I do wonder whether he, he sort of wishes he'd made different decisions because Klopp really liked him as a player, and I, I think if his again goes comes back to wage expectations, if his wages. His expectations around the money that he was earning would have been a bit more within the framework of of the structure that exists in Liverpool. He would have stayed at Liverpool. Maybe he wouldn't have had to sign Fabinho. But you know, he 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 for me, he hasn't he hasn't had a great second season. I, I would say, but first season at Liverpool totally proved um, to me anyway that he was a better fit than than Emre Chan because he can get about the pitch a lot more. You know, I think is wins a lot more possession, better with the ball, a bit more adventurous. You know, I, I like everything about him. I think he's just had a, had an indifferent second season, largely because of the injury that he picked up just at the point when Liverpool really kicked in and started flying. You know, beating teams relentlessly. So, yeah, a really good sign by Liverpool. Good value as well for the player who, you know, still relatively young player. Um, and and they managed to get that one done very quickly and very quietly. And I think that did contribute towards. The feeling, you know, afterwards, because people were like, "Well, look, Liverpool aren't standing still. They've got to the final. They've lost, but they've just gone out and signed one one of the best midfielders in in the French league, who, um, you know, good experience in Europe as well. So, yeah, that that I think that picked people's morale up. You know, people who were staggering home from Kiev over the next couple of days, knowing that they they secured one of the the sort of the most sought-after players in Europe. I mean, we, we shouldn't forget, James, how good Fabinho got to a certain stage until injury curtailed it. He was most definitely performing like the, the man of the season at a certain point. Yeah, oh, he was. He was, you know, he, had, he, had, he was exceptional, wasn't he, in those first probably, what, three, four months of the season before before he damaged his ankle. Um, yeah, he's, he, you know, he's he, he'd been a, a massive hit at the club and, again, you know, fits well and truly into that bracket of... Of, of amazing value when you think what was he 40 million quid from from Monaco and yeah I think you know, and again you've got to give Klopp an awful lot of credit I think for the way he handled him in terms of I, mean, I remember watching him initially in the in the, in the in the friendly games just after his arrival and you could you could almost see straight away that God you know this guy is going to need some time because 
you know, I think it, it, it was a bit of a shock to him, very different style of play and, and also obviously getting to grips with, with English football as well. And, you know, Klopp almost like pretty much took him out of the firing line and said to him, you know, you know, no, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on the training field before, before I'm, uh, you know, believe you're, you're ready mm. to, to actually fit in and do a job for us here. And and made it clear to him, you know, I've, I've bought you for five, six years, not for five, six months. And, you know, similar in a way to the way he handled Andy Robertson in those, in those early stages. And then, you know, slowly but surely, he absolutely blossomed into, you know, I think, Certainly, in the early stages of this season, no better holding midfielder in the Premier League than than Fabinho. I think the the ankle injury, you know, certainly did you know really knock him. I don't think he was he'd been the same player before the lockdown um, since he since he got himself fit fit again. But um, yeah, he's 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 an absolute you know vital cog in this clock machine, isn't he? I think what Pep Linders talks about him being the lighthouse um, in in terms of you know his impact on Liverpool's style and um yeah big 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 hit with the with the fans as well you know i think back to you know a few weeks ago we did the podcast and we talking about the the fight back against barcelona in the in the champions league and you know he was he was absolutely immense that night you know that was like the the epitome of a of a performance of controlled aggression after his uh, his early yellow that night yeah, what a player. That made a huge difference. In, in a few years to come, do you think we'll look back at this period, Simon, and, you know, two back-to-back Champions League finals and just realise the importance of one to the other and actually to the growth of the club as a, as a whole? Have we all felt something special has emerged out of that? It has been an incredible period, you know, the, the last... Ever since Klopp came in, really, you know, the, the team has, has progressed year on year, better results, higher league placings, more points... You know, the football's been better. I mean, well, it depends what you're looking for your football, I suppose. I mean, this season you would argue that the football has been slightly more pragmatic at times, but but has got better results. Um, and to, to, to get into the Champions League final two years on a run, you know, from a position of, of not being in the Champions League for a long period of time is incredible, really. And I think it just, again, reminds how powerful a threat Liverpool can be when on the pitch looks right and the fans believe in it because the, mm. the fans have had a, had a had a role in in that as well you know sort of the the results against uh, Manchester City Roma in the first season you know um and then obviously last season we've spoken about Barcelona I, 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 when when you've got that connection between what's going on on the pitch and the belief of it I just think it's an irresistible force in many ways and it's something that the owners should always remember that that ecosystem you know between that exists on Liverpool if, if people feel good about the football team they've got a chance of beating anyone really um but let's have it right you know they've got a world-class manager in charge who has signed some some excellent players who've become world-class players as well and I've thoroughly enjoyed covering the period it's been the most exciting period in my I suppose career it's just obviously so frustrating that at this moment in time and I use that word lightly because I, I understand, you know, that there's there's more at play here. But, you know, in a period where Liverpool are approaching control, some some sort of control at the top of the league, and and in European competition, that the the, the progression's being halted by by something beyond their influence, really. So, let's hope that when football does return, that um, you know, that it hasn't sort of had too much of an impact on. On, on this team I realise as I say I say that very carefully because I realise that there's a lot of people who are suffering at the moment and I just but fundamentally it'd be, it'd be you know the, the sooner we get football back and sort of normality back and seeing the Liverpool team the better because I've been missing it I've been missing watching the team compete in Europe and you know that, that last game against Atletico Madrid you know before it was was a result that I didn't see coming I thought Liverpool would win and you know that, that it, it's 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 quite you know sad I suppose that they, if if we get the Champions League back that they won't be involved in it because I, I thought they had a, a great chance of getting to a third final but hey ho uh, we'll we'll see how it all transpires in in August. There's definitely a feeling, isn't there, James, that anything is possible for Liverpool now. They put themselves within that realm, that that platform as a fan. There's an expectation on this side for, for multiple years now. You you would expect them to be in the final stages of the Champions League in the coming seasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think because, you know, again, the, the great thing about this team is you look at it and, and you still feel as if 
the, the you know the the best from it is, is still to come. You look at the the age range of the of the players, and you know the the, the vast majority haven't reached their their peak yet. Um, you know the the vast majority, with, with the exception of of Wijnaldum, are under long term contracts, and and there's no you know no reason to to be concerned about losing any any key personnel. Um, and then you know probably the most significant event in this entire record-breaking season was was Jurgen Klopp before Christmas signing that extension to, to keep him at the club until 2024. So, yeah, it's it's just an, an unbelievable time to be a Liverpool supporter, isn't it? With, you know, with those back-to-back Champions League final appearances, you know, finally winning it, then, you know, that taste of silverware going on to, to lift the Super Cup, the Club World Cup, and then, mm. you know, shatter so many records. You know, you know, Jed Ray, the club historian, you know, does a a brilliant job each week and you know putting together before each game like a stat pack and you know and it's just been ridiculous you know before the lockdown you know on a weekly basis like a almost like a list of another set of records that could fall this weekend um so yeah they've you know they've they've broken new ground this team and um you know finally we hope as as long as there's no uh, stumbling blocks with project restart that will see them wrap up the Premier League title over the, the coming weeks. And then I think, you know, I, certainly, I, you know, I, I think one positive for me and that I, I think you, you've got to take from, from all of this is, of, of course, it's not going to be the same winning it in, a, in, a, in an empty stadium, but what hunger that's going to give them to, to go and try and retain it next season. And you just don't see this Liverpool team going anywhere because um, they are operating at such a high level overseen by a manager you wouldn't swap for anyone. Shevchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Duday. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! Yes! European champions! Jerzy Dudek with a penalty save. Right, this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. Um, Don't forget, it's your last chance to get a 90-day free trial of The Athletic. So if you're not a subscriber already and you do want to have an extended period for free, head to theathletic.com and type in Liverpool Pod as your password. So athletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod and you've got a 90-day free trial. But um, that free trial, chance to get it, expires this Friday. So please get in uh, quick. Right, let's have a look at um, a few different things that are going on at the moment. Yeah, we've got to start with Timo Werner. How could we ignore him after a third hat-trick this season, Simon, at the weekend? So (laughs) on fire for RB Leipzig and making it look very easy with this hat-trick as well. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, no, he, he did. He, he did look the player that everybody seems to think he is. You know, uh, there's no doubt that he's a he's a top player. And Liverpool, if they were to sign him, would be getting somebody who is just sort of short of their peak. You know, Liverpool maybe for too long have tried to sign players. You know, in the early twenties, and and I've had to wait for that that period of maturity. But I still feel that, that a player's peak can be anything between sort of twenty four and twenty nine, really. And he 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 sort of just at the start of that process. So they'd be getting a player who's ready to play. And I think that goes back to what we've said repeatedly that that it just it just comes down to well, it's two things now. Obviously, with Liverpool's all clubs reassessing the financial situations, but also whether. Timo Werner would be prepared to just sort of wait and, and not kick up a fuss if, if he didn't get in the team straight away. I think I think quite clearly he wants to come to Liverpool and quite clearly, you know, that that he'd be willing to do that. But Liverpool have got to do the due diligence. And he was he was excellent at the weekend. I did see some of the games. I spent most of my time watching the Dortmund game, uh, who look an excellent team. Um so yeah, uh, hopefully uh, hopefully that there should be some clarity on that if we can get football started again in the next month, I think. The sooner the Premier League starts again, it get, you know, there's the one big thing about football. I think if, if they do finish this season, it'll give a lot of clarity and confidence about when next season starts, which will allow teams to make more informed judgments about the future. I think if this season doesn't get finished, which I think there's a decreasing likelihood of that, you know, the, it's very difficult to put forward an argument of, of when football starts again, um, which which would then lead to a lot of confusion about who's going where and who's signing for who and who has which money um, to spend. So 
the sooner football starts and and starts when it's safe, the, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Right, let's get to the uh, the red agenda inbox. Couple of questions here, uh, James. We'll start with this from Nikki. Have you ever driven thirty miles to test your eyes? <laughs> ah, right. Okay, let's shift to another one. <laughs> uh, Nabi says, um, "Is Shakiri injured?" Uh, at the moment, what's his future? A couple of questions here about um, Jordan Shakiri. Um, what does the future hold for him? Do you think? I'd say he's he's in that bracket of uncertainty that a number of players are in at, at the moment. I think certainly we rewind back to January and Liverpool had a fair bit of interest in him, but it was mainly to take him on loan and you know they they batted away. Um, a, a few loan offers back then made it clear that they. Um, that, that they wouldn't be prepared to to let him go. Klopp was very keen to keep him on board for the for the rest of the season, but you know the word at the time was that Liverpool would be open to selling him um, this summer. Um, but you know I think at the time the, the the fee being banded around was thirty million euros, which was what just just in excess of twenty five million pound, which I must admit at the time seemed pretty optimistic. And then I think you know certainly with with what's happened with the global pandemic and the impact on football finances, you know, that's, that's just fanciful. The idea that you're going to command 25 million pound for, for Shakiri. So I think, I think he's very much in that, in that kind of group of having to wait and see what offers come along because, you know, it's, it's been a pretty bleak season for him on a personal level, despite, you know, obviously the, the kind of being able to share the collective joy of, of everything Liverpool have achieved. But, you know, that I know, I know from speaking to him a couple of times in mix zones that you know, a lot of personal frustration that he hasn't been able to contribute more and and of course at his age you know he he will want to play he won't just want to be a bit part player um, and certainly when you know when he looks at some of the attacking young players coming through you know he's probably quite right to question how much of an imp- imp- input he's going to be able to have in terms of game time if he does stay around so. Um, yeah, I think it's probably too soon to say exactly what will happen with Shakiri, but um, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if um, if this these were the final few months of his Liverpool career. I think we're all sort of anxiously looking at LFC TV at the moment for for clips of how training's going. And here's one from Empire of the Cop who've, who've tweeted to say, "Who's who's shining upon uh, Melwood's return?" Can't really tell from the TV coverage. Well, you boys aren't allowed in, but what what are you hearing about the return to training for some of them? Well, I mean. I- it's only, I think, today that they're allowed to have, you know, contact training in small numbers for the first time. I mean, the first week or so, it's just been more of a fitness exercise, getting used to the ball and knocking, seems to me anyway, um, from what I hear, sort of long passes to one another. There hasn't been a particularly aggressive, the sort of aggressive focus that uh, Liverpool have in, 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 in training. I mean... Mm. It's important to remember this that, that sort of the training is is really important to Ian Klopp's Liverpool because you know that they, they train at, at match speed and and um, you know it's it's really competitive so they, they haven't really been able to do that yet but um, you know the, I know there are sort of plans to, to to how Liverpool will combat this as as, as the regulations ease um, and today is the first day I think um, where, where they're able to to actually. You know, to, to to have a bit more competitiveness in in the training, so it's a bit difficult to say that. I mean, who's been knocking the passes better from fifty yards? I mean, I'm, I'm probably Trent. <laughs> <laughs> you can't read much into it at the moment, can you? Uh, I, I suppose it's wait and see how it develops over the coming weeks until it gets back to some sort of normality. And Simon mentioned it there, James. Training at the moment it, it's just something they're not used to in in this sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, it's it's not proper training, is it? You know, it's 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 a, it's a it's a it's so far it's been a slight step up on you know the the running and the the jogging on their own and the the Zoom um, core fitness sessions that they were they were doing during the the lockdown. You know, the ball the balls are out. They're doing various you know passing drills and all the rest of it, but it's still. It's it's still not proper training, yeah. So you, I don't think, I don't think you can read anything really into into who's shining and who, who and who's who isn't so far because um, there just hasn't been that kind of competitive edge to any of the training that they've that they've done. Um, so you know, I think obviously the, the next Premier League meeting coming up on Wednesday, so that that should should lead to um, to hopefully the you know the next stage and and things stepping up a bit, but. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think you know, the, the one thing you, that is blatantly clear is that you know they, they've all looked after themselves well during the the lockdown. Of, you know, although they weren't together, you know, they they are still monitored very closely in terms of you know having to to feed all this data into Strava, the the app that they use, and 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 on all these you know running. Uh, challenges to, to you know and that measures is measures heart rate and all the rest of it so um yeah it's there's no issues on on that front you know they they all look look in in decent shape i think the interesting thing for me will be how long how long do they get in proper full contact training before before matches come along because of course this this kind of june the the 12th date was banded around for a long time and you know i think we said before that always did look a little bit optimistic in terms of um, trying to get players ready for that, I think. I think you know, much more realistic now would be you know the 19th or even the 26th, because you know what what you don't want is is rushing rushing players back when you know it's very important that the players are absolutely on on board with this, and you don't want you know it's not not going to be a good look at all, is it? If players start breaking down and you get a lot of muscle injuries because because of things of have been rushed so um so yeah i think you know certainly the coaches i've spoken to feel as if they need three weeks minimum um you know full contact training before the players are ready to actually play competitively again and it's a restart in uh, in empty stadiums uh, liverpool have updated uh, people who've got um, tickets who are waiting to hear inf- information on uh, refunds and essentially season ticket holders will get a full pro rata ticket refund for any remaining home games um supporters with tickets who weren't season tickets they'll fall into a category where they get a full refund seasonal and match day hospitality so liverpool have have addressed this now simon it, it was never going to be any other way than this but um it is important that they, they just make sure the fans knew where they stood with their tickets? Well, I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, Liverpool have made a few gaffes in the past, but, you know, there's, you know, maybe including the furlough decision, I know there's a bit of debate around around that still ongoing. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they, they, they couldn't afford to do anything less, really, to sensible decision. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a full statement on that uh, on the Liverpool website at the moment. Quite a few questions about Genie Wijnaldum. Still a topic of conversation. But when, when people don't hear anything, Simon, they jump to their own conclusions. And I take it there's no further development on his contract. Well, it's the, it's the same as everything else that, that's going on. I mean, Wijnaldum's coming up to the, the golden age of 30, where um, obviously there's, there's a theory that, you know, sort of player get players get shorter contracts at, at this time um you know and he's been at liverpool since since when 2016 now so he's he's a you know he's a, he's a key player he plays in all the big games and i think there's just a bit of to and fro and going on between you know the club trying to get the best deal and 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 and, um, and obviously his agents as well trying to get the best deal and that was going on before lockdown again i've got to be honest it's not something i've been keeping on top of since but i mean it, there's a willingness on on his part to stay you know he's, he's he's a very important player. I think he's been excellent for Liverpool this season. One of the top three or four players in the team has had very few bad games, if any. Um, so it's it's for me it's it's something that I think Liverpool need to sort out pretty quickly because he's one of those sort of players who's, who's a bit like James Milner in many ways. You know, made of steel, gets very few injuries, um, very fit. You know, helps the team in ways that not all. You know all people watching Liverpool maybe appreciate he, he plays a quite a subtle role but for me it's very important I've seen quite a lot of games sort of almost a pitch level this season and he he is really really important to the way Liverpool um get the you know sort of the protection that he gives the defense first of all and and the way he, he quickly recycles the ball really important player so I, I really hope that they get that one done Right, final question here. Um, James, let's throw this at you. And it's a reference to how perhaps um, the trophy lift will be done, obviously, should and when Liverpool uh, win that title. Did you, did you watch Celtic and how it was carried out north of the border? Is there anything significant you'd like change that might make the moment a bit different for Liverpool or might get, might get the best out of it, James? Absolutely no idea. Did, what, uh, what did Celtic do? Well, it, it looked very sanitised. Scott Brown was uh, parading the trophy to an empty Celtic park. Um, so they've obviously attempted to do it within the, the, the surroundings and, and give it a taste of, well, at least we're here. But it's, it's such a hard one to perform and deliver to any of the fans' expectations. 
it, I don't think there's an awful lot you can do, is there? I, th- I suppose the one the one benefit Liverpool will have is the fact they are likely to be presented with the trophy after they've actually just played and, and hopefully won, and it won't be a, a complete a completely empty stadium. But a, you know, of course, it's, it's just it's you know you. you you know, you only have to look at the thing in you know football in Germany at the moment with, you know what what it's you know there there isn't there isn't anything that you can try and replicate to try and fill that void of not having fifty four thousand people going absolutely nuts at the sight of Jordan Henderson lifting that trophy and being the first Liverpool captain to do so for for three decades. So um, yeah, it's. You know, you know, the Premier League went on record, didn't they, recently, as saying that you know, as long as it's deemed, you know, health and safety-wise, it's fine to do so. There will be a trophy presentation. You know, I don't, don't really see what you know, if, if it's if it's safe enough to play football, then surely it's safe enough to to hand over a, a trophy. So, um, you know, no issues on that front. But, um, but yeah, it's just going to be a very, very surreal moment when 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 that when that time comes. I mean, obviously different for. For Celtic, because I know obviously every every league triumph is is special, but you know when you've won it as many times in a row as they have, it's 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 not quite on the on the same level as um, as Liverpool doing it for the first time in 30 years. Okay, and let's get a final question in on the Red Agenda inbox, and this is about uh, the situation with the Nike kit deal. So the players will continue to wear. Um, their current kits until the end of the campaign, but when when will things change permanently, James? Yeah, well, we're, we're expecting the 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 big launch for the new Nike kit to to come in August now. Um, of, of course, the, the the contract, the five year contract that was that was signed was, was due to legally start on June the first. But um, you know, as as we detailed on the Athletic a, a month month or so ago, that um, you know after discussions between Nike New Balance. And, and Liverpool, you know, it made made much more sense for Liverpool to complete this season um, in their New Balance kit, and then for that, you know, that that deal with Nike to to start in the closed season. So, um, so yeah, it's you know, obviously at the moment we're not exactly sure when that closed season will be, but um, yeah. So if everything goes to plan, um, they'll have that that kit launch in in August in in the closed season, and then probably the most likely outcome is that. Um, the following campaign starts with Liverpool wearing those Nike shirts in early September. Boys, an absolute joy as always. Simon James, thank you. Cheers, Steve. Thanks, Stephen. There we go. Uh, the boys will be back next week for the Red Agenda. You've got a question bubbling on your mind that you like either uh, James or Simon to answer. Feel free to send it in on social media. They like, they'll answer anything. Those boys. Uh, Red Agenda back in a week's time. Thanks for your coming.